What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pot. Steve Wozniak, the Apple co-founder on artificial intelligence. We call it intelligence, but we don't know how the brain really works. We pretend we do and we don't. His long career at Apple, the power of the brain, and so much more. Well, I was at a company where the engineers did figure out how to make a brain. And it takes nine months. <laughs> Funny. Disney unveils a massive restructuring that the new-slash-old CEO Bob Iger says empowers creators at the House of Mouse. And for some reason, I thought of us. For some reason. Creative engines of a company need to have the freedom to do that creation. And how the rich save billions in taxes by skirting a 1920s law. ProPublica's Paul Keel. The law is essentially, if you're a sophisticated investor, it's very easy to get around. It's Thursday, February 9th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And let's take a look at what's happening. Good afternoon. It's my pleasure to welcome everybody to the Walt Disney Company's first quarter 2023 earnings call. Joining me for today's call are Bob Iger, Disney's Chief Executive Officer. Let me turn the call over to Bob to get started. Thank you, Alexia, and good afternoon, everyone. It's an extraordinary privilege to lead this remarkable company again, especially at this special moment in its history as we celebrate our centenary. Let's talk about it because Disney shares they are higher this morning. The company saying it plans to uh, reorganize into three divisions entertainment, which would include most of the streaming and media operations. Then there's going to be ESPN, and then there's going to be parks and experiences and its products unit. Here's CEO Bob Iger on the call talking about that new structure. I've always believed that the best way to spur great creativity is to make sure the people who are managing the creative processes feel empowered. Therefore, our new structure is aimed at returning greater authority to our creative leaders and making them accountable for how their content performs financially. Our former structure severed that link and it must be restored. Disney's plans to eliminate 7,000 jobs, or about 3% of its workforce in the process. The company planned to cut $5.5 billion in costs. $3 billion is going to come from content. That excludes sports, though, and the remaining $2.5 billion will come from non-content cuts. Here's Iger on those cost cuts. While we're extremely proud of the, what's on the screen, uh, it's gotten to a point where it's extraordinarily expensive. And we want all the quality. We want the, the quality on the screen, but we have to look at what they cost us. So we're going to continue to go after subs, but we're going to be more judicious about how we do that. 
in the process of that reorganization, lots of speculation about the future of ESPN. Iger saying the company is not engaged in any conversations or considering a spinoff. Bob did a good job yesterday laying out what he built during his tenure there, just in terms of bringing in Pixar, which you forgot about that. He did that so long ago. He brought in Pixar. He brought in Lucasfilms, brought in the Marvel industry. And that was really interesting to hear, hear all those aspects. But, Joe, I think you were making the point this morning about just, just in, the it, number of layoffs. If you go person by person, it's just a big number, it, it, you know. We all work with people, and you just think of, to get up to seven thousand. It's a big company, though. There are there are, you know, tens of thousands of employees. So I understand that, but we can say seven thousand very easily. But I mean, just to, to point out, I know him, her, you know, a hundred. Just to get to a hundred, are wow, that's a lot of people that I know, and that were they doing a lot of important things? That's what I. Some of them had to be doing some important things, right? Or. Are, is there always that much? Can you always find that much? Well, in this context, it's 3%. Think about all of the big tech companies we've reported on over the past two months where 20. the number has been People. 10%. And in some cases, the number has been, uh, the actual number has been much higher than 7,000 people. I mean, significantly yeah. higher 10, than 7,000. That's the old thing. How close 20, to the bone do you get when you cut? Are there really a lot of superfluous? I think it depends on well, the look, there's, there's all sorts of studies. I don't know if you've read these. There's academic literature, whether, the, whether you believe there it or not, a... that suggests actually that layoffs, at the, sort of mass layoffs, are actually uh, typically backfire on companies, that the companies that actually hold on to their people through Maybe. sort of downturns. Then why do it then? The pressure well, the because the cuts, the, but I was thinking about under pressure. And sometimes they actually need to because the companies are actually in genuine trouble. But I do think Elon Musk changed the equation and gave a lot of people room for layoffs when he got rid of 50% of Twitter. Right. I think that's especially true in the tech world. Yeah. I think the tech in tech land, those CEOs are looking at this is 3%. I'm, I'm not sure it's in the same. It's, it's not. And, and we can have a larger discussion, too, uh, about capitalism and, and corporate governance in, in this country because, you know, we heard that speech. Uh, there's going to be a dividend reinstituted, that's important. A lot of talk about shareholder value that Disney wants to try to, to generate for its shareholders. Now, this is coming at the expense of, of its employees, obviously. There could be an argument made that instead of focusing so much on shareholder value, you've got a, a employee base that has given well, a lot of... This no, I'm just saying this is maximizing profits and at, at the expense. Yes, but it, it is a somewhat Darwinian system, and it just is. And it's just something companies need to be able to do what they, they need to do to, well, think to try of, but think to... think about all of these companies, and this is why I thought it was a boom time phenomenon. I mean, when we talked about ESG and everything else. But think about the business roundtable um, coming out of that statement, 2018-19. The stakeholder stuff. Stakeholder stuff. You, you wouldn't know, do it if you were... And the idea was that... The idea at the time was that but you shareholders and customers and employees and somehow were all equal. But guess what? They're not. They can't be. And, and, and it still does come back to if you don't do something like this, if you never did it and you never cut expenses and you never slimmed down the workforce, you the, the, company itself, the company itself doesn't yeah. prosper. Right. And the worst case scenario is the company doesn't even stay in business because you've tried so hard to... The other thing that's worth noting, I, I think, and this is not just true of Disney, but true of basically every company in America during, for the last two years during the pandemic. Nobody laid anybody off. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Very few people. They were in hired. Fact, in fact, people yeah. were not only laying, not, but, and that was sort of a, 
not an ESG thing, but that was sort of a social, there was a social good piece, I think. There was a lot of companies that felt uncomfortable about laying people off during the pandemic. And you saw, you saw well, by the way, Goldman Sachs just laid money. a lot of people off now. Yeah. But the truth was, historically, they would have laid people off every year. Um, because that's how they, you know, there's sort of a, a me, natural churn to the business. Let me ask you just about Disney in particular and what Iger says when he says he wants to streamline things and make sure that the creative I was just going to, I was going to say, I was going to, that, that, that quote, mean? that quote got me here when I read it. And then we played that sound, but it's so compelling. And for some reason I thought of us and I thought it said, <laughs> for I some did. reason, I did. It says that cr the creative engines of a company need to have the freedom to do that creation and not be looking over their shoulder and thinking something's going to happen. I was just thinking but, that, but that, that all managers could learn from the, the actual creative entities that, that the place need to be right. liberated. But was this something directly related to streaming? Because a lot of companies have put these streaming operations in alongside the management that goes through. Is this a way of saying, okay, because he, at the same time, My he also said they're going to have more responsibility for their bottom lines and making sure. Right. My understanding so was that the going to be accountable now. Yeah. The, the P&Ls of the creative units used to have their own. They used to have their own P&Ls. They used to be. Yeah. Tri and then um, under Chapek, and there was a sort of reorg that really put a lot more power, Central. effectively centralizing it. And so the way the P&Ls were, were That's where most of the 7,000 are, are oh, getting it. laid off from, too. Do you, do you remember when GE came in and, and NBC and the movie and Universal and everything? And people were like, you got to be kidding me. You, you want me to tell you how much I'm spending here? Well, on it was this also movie? Six and, Sigma. And, the idea, can you put Six Sigma? I know, on but the, these, these guys that make light bulbs, there's no way that they have the actually the purse strings to allow what these creative people that you know might spend $500 million on a crappy movie. And, and yet there has to be a combination of creative and, fi but, and financial. But I think if you, if you are given the freedom to do that, it comes with responsibility to say, yes, okay. you're going to be responsible for, yeah, oh. with great freedom comes great oh, responsibility. Oh. Okay, but, Uncle Ben. But, but, but I do think it, 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 it's a, okay, you're going to be in charge, but you've you got to wear the big boy pants now. Big boy pants. <laughs> wow, you're mixing a lot of... Uh, Stuff. Um, but, okay, you 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 win. You get to say control of it, but you now have to make. No, I know, I know. Cheese will be next. Next, AI, the power of the personal computer, the singularity. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. I decided to change my mind that all this artificial intelligence type stuff, computers being kind of smart, doing the smartest jobs, doing things you used to do with a brain, all of those were really only going to be doing things that help humans. Wozniak on Squawk Pod right after this. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Just yesterday, our Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin got a surprise visitor at the end of our Squawk Box TV broadcast, Apple co-founder and technology legend Steve Wozniak. He walked right on set at the NASDAQ and joined us briefly. A legend just walked into the studio. Steve Wozniak just walked in right now. Can we get Steve a microphone? I had an Apple II GS with his signature on it as a child. So this is sort of a very cool thing to have you here. Good morning to you. Is this microphone working? It is working. How are you doing? I was joking. I'm doing great. Luckily, we were able to convince him to come back today for a much longer interview. Now, after Microsoft and Google's latest announcements on generative artificial intelligence, technology that can write ideas and answer questions, we got to ask, can computers ever achieve the same cognizance, awareness as a human? The Woz, a legend for helping found Apple Computer with Steve Jobs nearly 50 years ago, gives his point of view on the true power of AI. Steve, welcome. Welcome and good, thank good you to be for here. coming back. Your show is so early and I'm on California time. Cool. I know. We apologize. It's uh, 3.30 in the morning for you. We get <laughs> it, but we are really appreciative that you came back here today. Yesterday, we had a minute to talk to you about artificial intelligence, and that is all the rage. That's everything that's happening. People are making tons of money and losing tons of money on it, if you watched what happened yesterday with Alphabet. Um, but you are the engineer's engineer. You are somebody who always looks at what's happening behind the scenes, what's really happening, not the hype. And when you talk about AI, you have said that the first word is right, artificial, the second is not. It's not intelligence like a human brain, the way people think it is. And yes, the results can be so impressive because, you know, for years and years, we've been making technology right from a hammer that makes a person more powerful than a person without one. But our electronic um, technology with computers, everything we ever create, it's so a person can do something they couldn't do before and do it better. And the computers, you know, provide help in that. And what we call artificial intelligence is the top of where we've gotten to. And it's very high. And the reason we call it intelligence is, well, these programs, we can't just write a program to tell it what to say. We have to have it learn and teach and study everything in the world. And uh, so we call it intelligence, but we don't know how the brain really works. Yeah. We pretend we do and we don't. And I know because when I went back to school to get my degree, I was a psychology major looking at what we know about the brain. We don't even know that our memories are in the brain. You can get every top memory book type, psychology book, and we know that processing centers for memory are in the brain. So we assume the memories are there, but we have no idea how they're you're coded. Or we could build you're a, almost implying a soul. Man. Or we could so build a brain. A higher... we could, yeah, well, I was at a company where the engineers did figure out how to make a brain. And it takes nine months. <laughs> Funny. Coincidence. What? Nine months to grow. <laughs> Coincidence. <laughs> There's only one way to make a brain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so if it's not intelligence, what is it? What would you call it? Oh, I would just tell it the high end of, you know, for example, a computer can sit down and play a billion games of chess easily and remember everything. No human could ever do that. So a computer can eventually figure out how to be better at chess. So it's following algorithms. It's following little procedures. The trouble is it doesn't have the humanness of the feelings and the emotion that are a lot of part of our... Is that possible? Love? Is it possible to eventually generate some type of higher functioning like something like love in a, in a, in a yeah. machine. For you a think while, it's possible? After the book Singularity came out, saying when computers would do as much Kurzweil? processing with yeah. as much memory, Kurzweil. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I loved his later books, too. You know, um, I, I, I'm hopeful for that, you know, that I'm alive so we can be happy. But I was, I was convinced that, yes, by a certain date, we were going to have um, computers that had emotions and feelings and could look at your facial expression and read your face and your body positioning and everything. And they were going to be like humans. And... 
Bill Gates came in a couple of years later, and Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking saying similar things. And I said, oh, I'm in good company. And then I decided to change my mind that all this artificial intelligence type stuff, computers being kind of smart, doing the smartest jobs, doing things you used to do with a brain, all of those were really only gonna be doing things that helped humans. And we would still be in control of that. It wouldn't be a machine thinking, what should I do today? See, they aren't gonna have that kind of intuition. We're gonna program them specifically to solve individual problems, yeah. but not the whole life. Okay. I mean, look at, look at a car. You're driving along and the car sees the speed limit signs. But if they put one up that has some flashing digits so they can change the speed, it doesn't, it doesn't have any idea what the heck that Kurzweil is. Kurzweil said that the quantum advances are becoming shorter and shorter. And once we have machine learning as a, as a million times everything humans have learned, that's the singularity. But think how long it took a human, to, to, the brain to develop, four billion I years. Don't, I don't buy four, that anymore though. But four billion years, we're not gonna do it even if it's 10,000 years probably. Yeah, but a machine would have to sit down and say, well, what can I do to um, figure out a way to so program you don't think it ever happens. What, what changed your mind? Um, it was largely a statement by a son of mine that is more brilliant than I, that I respect a lot. And I started thinking about it and I decided, that's right, all this artificial intelligence is helping we humans have something that takes us further. But it's, it's you know, and, but you know, we're gonna have errors too in all these algorithm things. It's like a car can be so smart to do some things. Man, it makes mistakes all the time. I'm talking about my Tesla. And, um, and it's, it's a horrible, frightening experience. So what's gonna happen with um, uh, ChatGPT when it makes er a few errors, which it will. It's it not does, like a human yeah. who sort of recognizes that can't be right. That's not what we really wanna communicate. It's gonna become part of history that the other ChatGPT study they're going to know it all. It's on the internet. I worry it's about kind of like when media gets something wrong about you. Right. And if it's a major media like Wall Street Journal, every book and every magazine winds up copying the same story for you know your whole well, life. Kids forget how to, how to learn how to write. Remember what the calculator did for basic math skills. I don't know if anyone can do long division anymore. Calculator was a big part of my upcoming. I worked at Hewlett Packard on the well, we, products in the world. Still, can you do integral cal calculus now without a, without no. a calculator? No, and, and no, I don't think you would. Can you do cursive? Cursive is even hard for those of us who would, grew would up chat doing it. Would ChatGPT make it so no one knows how to write a composition that'll, yes, anymore? That'll happen more and more because we have so many aspects of what you know computers right. have brought to us that we just forget well, that's, that, that bad. and yeah. forget that. Well, yes, because you want to train the mind to be think the human mind what to think mean? for itself. Well, it's it's a fear. It's a fear, but I'm not going to fear it. I mean, the, the humans will always be in control. Uh, you mentioned Tesla. A lot of people, and, and I think I've compared him, uh, them together, and I'm curious if you do or not. Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. Yeah, they're actually very similar. And I don't like to say that, because <laughs> Steve Jobs is such a good friend, so. But do you, do you think, I mean, do you put them in the same uh, pantheon of, 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 of sort of great entre yes, entrepreneurs, of, of, of great? Um, no. No. I put them in the category of getting, of having the ability to communicate and wanting to be seen as the important person and being like a cult leader. And a lot of people will follow them no matter what they say and you know, they get beyond a point of really being judged. And a lot of cults are like that, and there are many. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? To me, it's a bad thing. To some people, it might be a good thing. We're all different. Um, I'm into, my, my life has been based on total honesty. Everything you say is totally honest. You don't hide things, you don't describe things, you don't make things up to even make yourself seem better. Um, and a lot of honesty disappears when you look at you, Elon Musk and, and uh, Tesla. They have, they have robbed my family, myself and my wife, of so much money, I couldn't tell you. You know, with 
things they said that we really believed would be real. And uh, you were no. a believer back in 2017, basically, of a lot of the things no. he was saying, or what are you talking no. about? No, we had a Tesla in 2016. We upgraded, paid a lot of money to upgrade to one that had a camera and a radar. And, it, and Elon Musk said it would drive itself across the country by the end of 2016. And then we then we upgraded for fifty thousand dollars to one. He said it didn't have enough sensors. We knew it wouldn't even see a child in front of the car. It had eight cameras. Oh my God, eight cameras, you know, and extra sensors, and it would drive itself across the country by the end of 2017. Okay, you know, and I get a little bit tired of this, um, you know. And um, Tesla did some great things, you know. And, as, and Elon Musk built a car for himself, understanding the needs that he had. And that led to the great car, the Tesla Model S. But, um, and here we are today because of that. We're going to have a huge, huge get, getting to EVs sooner than we would have because of, because of Elon. No, I admire some things about him. But I don't admire the um, being able to speak in marketing terms that's dishonest, Ooh. misleading. Are you, but are you suggesting that Steve Jobs was similar in that regard? Um, no, Steve Jobs really wasn't um, so, so dishonest, but he would say things in ways that um, he just had a way of grabbing you and being, you know, grabbing you and following whatever he said regardless. But it wasn't really um, that untruthful. It wasn't that you bought something thinking, thinking you were going to get an A, but you didn't get it. So I'm, no, I'm, it wasn't I'm, like I'm that. a little bit intrigued uh, because I, I've had my own evolution. And I'm intrigued that you said that we don't even know if memory it, it resides in, in the brain sure. itself. So that would transcend, that would be some type of metaphysical, almost a spiritual outlook that you have. have you, are you spiritual? Are you, no, are you, not but at you're all. totally this is, scientific. This is totally, no, totally logical engineering like I am. I went so back, how does it transcend, back, how does the memory transcend the, what's mediated by the neurons then? Because I would think, I still think it has to be mediated in the cerebral sure, cortex has to or be. something. You don't say that you know it is, because we can't find a memory. Scientists um, can be can like actually become spiritual. Do you, are you, do you believe in God, for example? No. You don't believe in God? No, 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 no. I believe in, in logic and truth. I went back to college to, uh, uh, um, to get my degree, because I had one year to go. After I had a plane crash, early start of the Macintosh, I was on the group. I went back to college, um, and I had, my name was famous, so I used a fake name. My Berkeley diploma reads Rocky Raccoon Clark, <laughs> and I, I was a psychology major. I wanted to study the brain and memory and everything because of things that happened after my crash. And I read the top books in the world, and I continued to read them, top stories in the research. We know processing of memories is in the brain. We have very good indication of that in the hippocampus, but we do not know how to read a memory. Oh, yes, look at these synapses here that connect this way. That must be how he memorizes the shape of a piece of corn. No, we don't know that. Um, and I came up with the strongest correlation in any book on memory to this day. I came up with it 40 years ago. You lose two things between the ages of six and 10. You lose your childhood autobiographic memories, things that happened, and you lose your teeth. Okay, and I made it up as to show, the, show my professors and the, the, the class. If there's no stronger correlation in any textbook about memory, Mm -hmm. We know memories aren't in teeth. That just shows you how weak the books are. Well, we better. Turns out it's twenty twenty. I'm disappointed. We're going to need this singularity to live forever, then, because there's well, no afterlife. That, search, that's search, search for memories in teeth right now, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you'll be shocked what you read. But you also have the test for Alzheimer's in saliva and the gums. I want to live with my dogs and my family after I'm dead. And so you're saying there's no chance of that? Well, if my dogs aren't going to heaven, I don't want to go there either. <laughs> Two quick questions before you go. Um, interface UI. That's one thing that I think you and Steve uh, did brilliantly. But there's a real question is what the future of 
these interfaces are and whether we're all going to be wearing goggles. I'm talking about the metaverse now mm -hmm. and, and what you think that looks like and, and whether you think that's real, fake, what is that? If you track the whole development of computers through personal computers up to the mouse-based ones um, where Apple got a lot of reputation for making things easy and intuitive, the way the brain thinks, and then we move to the ones where you touch screens and all that, it's really the input and output, the way humans communicate. Now we have voice right. and our personal assistants. How do um, humans communicate with computers has been the great change and emphasis for that. And Apple had a big role in... But so would you be betting on, we, obviously, what Meta's doing? Or would you be betting on what we think Apple may do in terms of VR and AR? Is that... You know, there's funny. I get asked questions and I say, well, you, what do you think the device of the future is going to be? I think it should be a handheld, handheld touchscreen device. And I say that. Well, how could you say that? The world changes so much, so fast. And all the changes now almost don't mean anything. I didn't even upgrade to the latest phone. You know, it's too many times I've just gotten the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, thinking I was getting something more. And um, so we're, um, what was I going to say? <laughs> just the, whether you think you're going to be wearing. Oh, whether we think, yes. So, so I think that cars lasted for, what, 150 years, pretty much. Same four wheels and a, a, a compartment. It's used for the same purposes by right. people. It didn't change in its physical shape that much. So I think we've really gotten to all the sizes of handheld devices you, is you, going to be the future. Metaverse, right. metaverse, it's, it's tough. You know, you, you can put it on to the most amazing experiences in the world, and then after half an hour, an hour, ugh, I've had enough. So is it going to become total life or a part of life? Another major thing that we have on the sign, a type of entertainment. I see it very much as entertainment, partly. It's Just cute. like... Yeah. We've got to run, but before you go, you sounded like you had a personal experience when you said that the media gets something wrong and it goes on for forever. What did they get wrong about you that has been Oh, my repeated? gosh. There was one time where um, I was going to go off and start a new company to make the first universal remote control. Great idea. I had one engineer that wanted to do it with me. And Wall Street Journal, It was we had um, an, an incident with a shareholders meeting, and I called John Scully, not Steve Jobs, and I, and I just said these engineers are very unhappy. They didn't get respected or noted once, the Apple II engineers, and all the money of the company is coming from that. Well, the Wall Street Journal printed that I was leaving the company because I was dissatisfied with um, the, the Macintosh taking preference over the Apple II. But I told the reporter, I told the reporter on the phone, that's not why I'm leaving. I'm leaving to start a company with a great idea. Well, forever and ever, every book and every magazine article said I left the company. I didn't even leave the company. I'm the only one who's had a paycheck every week since the very start of Apple. Still I'm the only person. Yes, yeah, still do. That's great. Very, I'm very loyal and, and don't want to lose it. It's meant so much to me. Steve Wozniak, it's meant so much to have you here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It. Great to see you. Good Today talking to you. No some, some people think that we will meet our pets at the Rainbow Bridge. So think about that. Well, we all hope so. Next on Squawk Pod, inside the tax strategies of the 1% of the 1%, ProPublica's Paul Keel on the tax trick saving the rich billions. I can't imagine anybody who doesn't have a lot of money that doesn't do this. Right, I mean, it's big business. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. You're listening to Squawk Pod. 
Stand by Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Some of the richest people in America are saving nine figures or more in tax payments by skirting a century old law against what are known as wash sales. They're selling shares of a company and then buying them again in a very short period of time. That's according to a new investigative piece in ProPublica. It flags members of the ultra wealthy like Steve Ballmer and Mark Zuckerberg also, the mega bank Goldman Sachs, who helped effectuate some of these trades. Paul Keel is here. He wrote that story for ProPublica and joins us on the set to explain it. So let's, let's as they say, uh, tell it to me like I'm five years old. Sure. What happened here? Right. So I mean, I think the easiest way to think about it is to go back 100 years ago, where if your stock was down, you could simply sell the stock, take the tax loss, and then buy right back into the position. And you have your tax loss. You really haven't changed your investment. And it's sort of a strategy that went viral, particularly in 1920 when the the market was down. And so Congress said, no, you can't do that. That's too easy um, to collect that loss. You know, flash forward uh, to the present day, investing has obviously changed a lot since 1920. Um, This is a law that actually had bite even going back to the 1990s. And essentially, the shift that happened and made it so basically it's toothless now. It's very easy to get around for anyone who's reasonably sophisticated is you know, investing has changed. There's a lot of passive investing. You can follow indexes and that sort of thing. And if you're tracking the S&P, there's a lot of ways to get basically the same exposure without mm. necessarily getting the exact same position again. Okay. Um, and that has led to all sorts of products uh, springing up, particularly something called direct indexing, where basically you can own a pot of stocks, you can be tracking the S&P, and then, you know, asset managers, you know, Goldman Sachs, we focus on in the piece, but Northern Trust, uh, Iconic Capital is another place we focus on. They uh, handle the Facebook uh, guys, uh, like Zuckerberg and Dustin Moskowitz in the piece. You know, they've set up these products that are just serving up tax losses, essentially, to their clients. And no one, this is not a secret. You know, this is like actually a pretty popular product. It's like in the hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of how many assets are in these products now. So here's the question, though. It tracks what what you're selling. It it tracks whatever it is, and then you can... Well, so there's there's two issues here. One is, with, with Steve Ballmer in particular, at least that was the example that you... Right. that you, you put forth. He was buying, for example, uh, one um, class of shares of like Shell, for example, right. and then buying another uh, class of share of Shell right. afterwards. Yes. So let's just start there, because that, yeah. that, that's the same company. Right. Is that illegal? So the only thing that is very clearly illegal is same stock, same account. Okay. Right. That's basically what it is. And that's really only all that's enforced, right. I think, is one thing. Okay, so from a tax, so but then the question becomes from a tax policy perspective, right. from, uh, you know, if you're the government, you're the IRS. Yeah. Do, do we believe that class A shares of one company are the same as class B shares and whether those should be allowed to be used in that kind of way? That's, that's, that's the sure. most obvious version of so this. So when we noticed this, when I saw, like, hey, Steve Ballmer's buying Shell, right. selling Shell, that seems like the same thing. They're, they're not exactly the same QCIP because they're, they're common shares, uh, different classes. So we, we brought this to Goldman Sachs and said, right. hey, we're seeing hundreds of these types of trades because it's not just Shell. It was other companies that have two different classes. And they said, basically, whoops, uh, right. we didn't mean to be doing that. I mean, this goes back 10 years. Um, and so what they've told right. us is that they're, they're notifying clients. They were unwinding. These trades are not going to do these anymore. Uh, Steve Ballmer said he's going to amend his taxes. Right. And, and, but yeah. here's the more com- Okay, so that's one version yeah. of it. The more complicated question is, let's say you're buying this basket that yeah. we think closely tracks another basket. But the right. baskets are fundamentally actually different stocks, right? right? So yeah. this, this one might have Microsoft in it. 
This one might have alphabet in it. Uh, but if you mix those up with a couple other things, they historically have tracked each other yeah. relatively similarly. Right. Are they really different or not? Right. And therefore, if you are sitting atop the IRS or sitting at, at Janet Yellen's position it. or somebody else. It's going to be hard, though. Should those positions be allowed to do what you're I mean, describing? Basically, what tax experts said is like it's a perfect end run around the law as it is written right now. Um, the law is essentially, if you're a sophisticated investor, it's very easy to get around. Yeah. Um, and so these products, you know, uh, if, you, if you pay attention to what you're doing, the only people who really run afoul of the wash sale rule are going to be retail investors who don't really don't know, know how to better. do it. You could get yeah. 0.99 correlation on anything you sell, and it must right. be done and, all the and time. And these products say to like, people like Steve Ballmer, who are in like, these direct indexing funds, hey, we track this perfectly, basically. Right. Right. Um, yeah. You're, you're going to be able to follow the S&P up while we spit out tax losses for you. But so on paper, you're getting wealthier, but you get tax losses to offset other gains. Is the point to embarrass these companies and these investors and to stop doing this, or is the point to try and get the IRS to change the laws? Well, it's, so. it's part of the system that I think a lot of people don't realize. So investment gains is kind of the easiest part of the tax system to gain. So like the basic thing is you have gains, you don't sell, you don't pay taxes on. That's pretty easy. Um, and then when you do sell, you pay a lower tax rate. And right. then on top of that, you know, there's these products that basically can shave off your gains. So but sure but you it's an argument for a much simpler tax code, because as long right. as you have ways around complicated tax codes, you are going to have firms that are advising people how to, to yes. cheat the intent of the I law. I mean, things get not very, the law yes, itself. right. There's, there's all these, these rules around the way that we tax investment gains. There, there it's are, not just that. I can think of 50 different I things. Can't, that, I can't yeah. imagine anybody who doesn't have a lot of money that doesn't do this. Right. I mean, it's big business. Right. There's there these products, but it's something and it's actually something that's spread out into the so retail here's, market. Here's a policy question. Yeah. If you could rewrite the policy. I don't know how you do it. How would you do it? You simplify it so, so you can get tax losses. Yeah. The, 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 the perfect good. solution is actually there is part of our tax code that works like this. Um, somebody like Ken Griffin, for instance, who's you know, a hedge fund. Um, he's, he's it's called mark to market, essentially. Like so right. your investments are up, you're taxed on those. Your investments are down. Those are losses for you. Um, and it's automatic. You don't have to do anything, selling, um, buying. It's, it's automatic. And hedge funds choose to be taxed this way. It's a part of the tax right. code that works that way. Um, and you think, the, yeah, and yeah you but think that's because they have, that, 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 but that's taxing unrealized gains at yes. times, too. Right. And that, to me, seems crazy because right. only guys who have a whole lot of money where they have years where they have big losses and years where they have big gains that they can take it off against, that matters, too. If you're a regular investor and yet that eventually gets to unrealized, taxing unrealized gains, I'm, I'm never going to have years where I make that much money and I can take it off the top again. I, they, that, to me, is the crazy part about taxing unrealized gains. Yeah, there's people who are, I mean, it's a, it's a policy question. I mean, Biden um, had his proposal to sort of deal with this where he, he treats it as a right. minimum tax. Right. Right. You have to have an asset at a certain level, and then it's like over time. You could have done, right. with, million, could have done it with Bitcoin. You could have sold Bitcoin right. and bought Ether at, at the bottom, taking well, your loss. I mean, yeah, but, but those are two separate yeah. things that might not but, have been yeah, very they might high, not highly, highly, highly correlated. But where do you stop? President Biden talking about his 15% minimum tax mm -hmm. on both individuals and corporations. Is there a way to do it? so that you're not taxing unrealized gains or some kind of threshold, you know, sort of multiple threshold. You need to have X in assets. You need to have X in loans. You've written about, about how people use their assets to take loans to effectively right. live. Have you thought, I mean, I would love to have you back, actually, because we don't really have enough time to do this, <laughs> to sort of 
think to through. Solve the tax code. <laughs> well, to the extent that <laughs> he never gets tired of trying to figure out higher taxes. Yeah. Never. No, 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 no. But to the extent, no, fair taxes. To the extent that you. Oh, can, you're uh, using the fair yeah, word well, again. Well, to the extent that we can come up all with right. a system that that the American public believes in because they don't yeah, believe in that. Right. We can we can all agree that the American public believes uh, there's something wrong with 80, the system. We need eighty thousand more guys uh, and, sticking and look, their nose I, in your business. Please come on back because there's so many issues to talk about with this. So this is just the first of many. That's what we can use the eighty thousand for to find every single person that does something like that. You available tomorrow morning? Great idea. Uh, yeah, sure. And then okay, once we well, get the money, we're going to spend it so well once we get it. I'm that, telling you. It's going to be a different conversation. It's be, everything's that's a different gonna, conversation. All our problems are going to be solved once again. We'll have you back Thanks. to discuss this more. And thank you for listening to Squawk Pod today and every day that you do. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for business news and life advice. With great freedom comes great responsibility. Okay, Uncle Ben. To get the very best of our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd be so kind, please rate and review Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts. You can do it right on your phone and it helps other listeners find us. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.